On the Record with Gavin Riley. Brought to you by PwC on News Talk. There's an awful lot to get through, so we'll play right in with our look at the front pages of the Sunday morning newspapers. Uh, we'll start today with the Irish Mail on Sunday. Pope Francis personally sent a special blessing to each of the families of the 10 people who lost their lives in the devastating Creechley explosion, as well as daily messages of support to the community. The Irish Mail on Sunday can reveal the local parish priest, Father John Joe Duffy, said the pontiff was among those who responded to his appeal for prayers to help carry the local community through its darkest hour. Pope Francis, we are told, personally packed individual sets of black and white rosary beads into simple pouches embossed with a papal emblem for the families who lost loved ones in the blast. At the front page of the Business Post, billions of euro in corporate tax this year is a once-off, finance warns. The Department of Finance officials are predicting that billions of euro worth of corporate tax collected in 2022 will be one-off in nature and will not be repeated next year, the Business Post can reveal. The government previously highlighted that between 8 and 10 billion euro in corporate tax could be more vulnerable to in general, but department officials and revenue have now identified a more precise amount of business tax receipts for this year that are definitely once off and therefore not expected to be replicated next year. The Business Post understands this figure is close to €2 billion Euro for 2022 to date. Government officials expect that, that that figure to climb by the end of this year, particularly because November is traditionally the largest month for corporate tax receipts. The scale of the one-off nature of tax receipts identified by officials is likely to raise concerns about the sustainability of Ireland's bumper corporate tax receipts, the, pa- the paper says. Um, also interestingly, and I'm sure we'll come back to this later in this hour, um, Tónis de Leo Varadkar was not notified of job losses at either Twitter or Stripe in advance of redundancies being announced at the firms. Under Irish legislation, the Minister for Enterprise must be notified if a company looks to make more than 30 people redundant within a 30-day period. A spokeswoman for the Taunish has said that Varadkar, the relevant minister, had not been notified of either of the two proposed job cuts as of Saturday afternoon. The Taunish has not, at the time of issue, received a collective redundancy notification in relation to potential redundancies at either Twitter or Stripe, she said. The Taunish expects all employers to comply with their legal obligations, as she said. I'm sure we'll come back to that in a few minutes' time. Uh, the front page of the Sunday Times has also a, a Twitter-related story. Irish clash with Musk on Twitter safety is inevitable, we're told. Ireland has been told to prepare for an inevitable confrontation with Elon Musk, the mercurial billionaire owner of Twitter. Their words, not mine. Uh, once it assumes responsibility for enforcing new regulations governing harmful content posted on social media platforms, Ireland's role in policing content on Twitter will be larger than any other country because the social media giant's headquarters are, for Europe are located in Dublin, where until Friday it employed around 500 people and Cumberland House and Fenian Street. Uh, responsibility for ensuring that Twitter complies with new regulations and EU directors does rest with the new online uh, commissioner for online safety who is due to be appointed here shortly. Uh, Musk has described himself as a free speech absolutist and he has previously said that he would relax previous bans on content policies and uh, content previous bans and content, content, uh, content moderation policies on Twitter which he's bought for 44 billion euro. Uh, Dr. Joan Donovan, who is the director of the Shorenstein Centre at Harvard University, says Musk's worldview and plans for Twitter would inevitably lead to confrontation uh, with Irish regulators. Um, also on the front page of the Sunday Times, very briefly, Mary Lou Macdonald says that Jonathan Dowdell would not have been anywhere near Sinn Féin had her party known that he was involved in any kind of criminality. Uh, she was speaking ahead of the Sinn Féin at the RDS in Dublin yesterday, where more than 2,000 delegates gathered. Mary Lou Macdonald is with us in studio today. You'll hear from her a little bit after the news at 12 o'clock. Uh, and speaking of uh, Sinn Féin and Mary 
Mary Lou Macdonald, the front page of the Sunday Independent, tells us that most voters do not think a Sinn Féin-led government would restore that resolve the housing crisis. But support for Mary Lou Macdonald's party has fallen significantly for the first time in over a year. The latest Ireland Thinks poll for the Sunday Independent also finds that a clear majority of voters believe Miss Macdonald should explain how she funded the renovation of her party home in Dublin. Although it remains the most popular party in the country, Sinn Féin has dropped three points to 34%. Its first significant drop in support since the Ireland Thinks poll uh, series since April of last year. No benefit for the coalition parties, however. Uh, Fine Gael unchanged on 21, Fianna Fáil unchanged on 17 points and the Green Party dropping one point to three. Uh, despite the government facing huge criticism for its handling of the housing and homelessness crisis, 58% of voters answered no when asked if they believed that a Sinn Féin-led government could resolve the housing crisis, just 24% saying it could and 17% unsure. Uh, we're joined in the studio to discuss those stories and more by uh, Rachel Ardale, Managing Director of RSD Consulting and also uh, by Jack Horgan-Jones, political reporter with the uh, Irish Times. Times. Jack, I'm a little bit surprised um, at that headline finding from the uh, Sunday Times or the Sunday Independent poll mm. uh, because one would think that a lot of um, Sinn, or Sinn Féin's support would be on the premise that it might be the only party capable of resolving the housing crisis but it seems that even a lot of their own supporters don't believe that they'd be capable of doing it. Yeah, so only 24% of people seem to think that Sinn Féin is, is going to be able to solve the housing crisis. I think that perhaps... In fairness, that's probably more commentary on what the electorate think of how intractable the housing crisis is as opposed to whether one party or another might actually be able to to address it. And I think that the the electorate is probably correct on this. I think that the the housing crisis has now evolved into something so multifaceted, so complex, um, that it is difficult to see how any kind of one single event, be it political or policy reform or whatever, uh, will provide a trigger that kind of improves things very quickly overnight. I mean, you know, if there were a lever to pull in government or within the apparatus of the state that, you know, was that resulted in more houses being built automatically, they would have pulled that some time ago. Mm. Um, so you, you do have a situation where uh, the, the, the policy inputs take a long time to work their way through the system and I think that's the kind of that's the nature of the political nightmare that is that is housing and it's why um, you know it's been a nightmare for, for Fine Gael and it's now a nightmare for Fianna Fáil because they're talking I mean Michal Martin has an interview in the Sunday Independent with Niamh Horan today and yeah. he's talking about planning reform and stuff like that which again is all well and good but it's one of those things that even if it is successful you won't see the fruits of that success for quite some time meanwhile the, the political costs of the ongoing crisis continue to accrue to the people who are in office and, and to return to, to the poll that you mentioned um, to get into some of the kind of some of the more detailed findings where they rank ministers which is one of my absolute favourite things this will not be very happy reading for a lot of ministers but but it won't be very happy reading for Dara Bryan who is right towards the bottom uh, in terms of how effective people see him as. Yeah. Uh, 1% of people uh, think he's the best performing minister and uh, in terms of the worst performing ministers, he's third He's third worst. 16% yeah, so of people think he's the worst performing minister. And like, I think that's interesting as well because you know we in the bubble uh, talk a little bit about Dara Bryan potentially being... Um, Respectful leader, leader. Yeah. exactly, yeah, and like he's kind of, he's quite an impressive politician in some ways. You know, he he generates a lot of momentum. He's a good media performer and all that stuff. And I think that yeah. sometimes we in the bubble can forget that like he's still presiding over a housing crisis, which he hasn't made any kind of demonstrable dent in. Mm-hmm. And that's what voters see, and that's what voters care about. You yeah. know, and it also it, it it raises really interesting questions for Fianna Fáil because when you look at the three worst performing um, ministers, Norma Foley, Stephen Donnelly, Dara Bryan, and they're the they're the portfolios that Fianna Fáil asked for. 
board. They are the yes. portfolios that they yeah, said they, they we can go in exactly. Yeah. We can do housing, health, and education. Make a big difference. And it's just like the polling is just terrible for yeah, them. Can we just, have a bit of comment from outside the bubble? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. So as a social scientist, they. Okay. Uh, the science of cephalogy, as you know, studying yes. of polls. Mm-hmm. Uh, the link between housing and how it relates to political science actually is very understudied. And I think what this poll reveals is some real fault lines in Irish society about the views of people who are homeowners and the views of people who are renters are wildly different when it comes to politics. And I think that's polarising Irish society because okay. the winners really are wealthy people with mortgages and they mm. get wealthier and wealthier as their um, mortgage payments reduces. But the losers are millennials and Gen X who really, mm. even if they are working, can't see any way out of getting onto the housing ladder. But so, How do you see that being reflected then in this poll? Do you think that it's predominantly sampling people who are renters or how do you think it's, it's come to pass then that the Minister for Housing is the bottom of the pile. I'm a fan of what Disraeli said. There are lies, damn lies and statistics. The poll could differ <laughs> okay. in the next quarter. Right. Um, in terms of sampling, we've, we've, they've, they've sampled a thousand people. There's a good confidence level. You know, I think yep. it's about 3%. Um, you know, so it gives, it gives a good reflection of how Ireland thinks at the moment. Um, and the housing crisis is you know, in the top yeah. three issues that people are concerned about. I think, I think in the last poll, actually, I think in the last poll in the series, they did do a question, kind of look to uh, align political choice or your 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 party preference with your tenure type, I think. Didn't yes, they? yes. Yeah. And it, it did show that renters overwhelmingly, I don't know the number off the top of my head, yeah. but it did show the renters overwelmingly yeah. support there, there Sinn Féin, which would absolutely back up what you're saying. Yeah. 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 There, yeah. there was something empirical on that line, all right, yeah. Mm. Uh, we should probably explain, by the way, for, for those who haven't seen the Sunday Independent or haven't seen the details of this poll. So what they've done is, aside from the usual questions around, you know, who would you vote for if there were a general election tomorrow and please indicate your approval or disapproval of various leaders. What they've done is they've asked you, which of the following ministers do you think has performed the best in the last two years and they've given you the full list of all 15 people who sit at the cabinet table Pascal Donoghue was responded as the best performer by 25% of all people so to, to get more a quarter than double, more than double to, 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 get a, to get a quarter of the vote yeah. in a 15 horse race is it's pretty significant pretty impressive, yeah. Yeah, and he's over double of the, the next highest finisher which is Simon Coveney in Fine Gael uh, who's obviously serving as Minister for Foreign Affairs and Defence the Taoiseach yeah. himself comes in third uh, 11% uh, believe that he's the best performer in cabinet Simon Harris 9% and then as you say you go down to the very bottom 1% Norma Foley in education 1% Stephen Donnelly in health 1% Dara Bryan in housing uh, the Green Party performer is not doing terribly well either Eamon Ryan 2% in environment Green uh, Roderick O'Gorman 2% in children Catherine Martin 9% uh, in tourism art sport and media which is quite significant but also by the by they were also asked the flip side who has performed the worst in the last two years Poor old Eamon Ryan, 29% of people. He's the best worst. He's the best worst. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure that's the way that he'll like, be trying as, to console himself. As impressive himself. as Pascal Dunne, who's um, 25% is, 29% is really quite dismal for Damon. Yeah, yeah. You'd wonder with Pascal O'Donoghue what, you know, he's on the back of a quite a good budget. We flirted with recession, but when you look at the budget in the UK, for example, you know, and if people are comparing what they might have had mm. with our neighbours, um, you'd it's a, wonder... It's a dullness you know, dividend. Yeah. The, yeah. the yeah. substance of his policy, though... <laughs> wow, um, <laughs> chalk, chalk it down, sophologists. <laughs> the dullness dividend. Yeah. Is that why we're now so desperate to keep him as president of the Eurogroup? We have to contrive some other means by we, which... We are contorting ourselves in yes. some strange positions aren't we on that oh, one for, yeah. the, for the old dullness dividend uh, Nigel in Kildare says what a fantastic poll this morning in the 
Fein, though, the left is up, and although Sinn Fein are down slightly, it's an even worse poll for the Conservative right of Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil. Um, and interestingly, and I think this is possibly the first time this has been the case, um, one of the questions that people were asked were, in a forced choice, which of the following would be your preferred government? 41% said they would like to see uh, the coalition as it currently stands right now. That's up five points. That's Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael and the Greens uh, returning again after the next election. 43% said they would like a Sinn Féin-led government excluding Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil if, of course, the, the poll results or the election results fall that way and, and allow it to happen. Um, to go back to the, the original finding about housing, um, Rachel, mm. um, in a certain sense, uh, I'm mindful of your, your sophology and your social scientists lens aside, um, that it almost makes it something of a free hit for Sinn Féin because they may have been propelled to popularity on the back of a housing crisis, but if people aren't putting uh, or too much expectation on Sinn Féin to fix it, then it means that they, they could potentially be looking at almost two terms in government without anybody putting them under too much pressure to get it done. I think they're going to inherit the good work that's been done already in the housing for all policy. So there's another interview with Micheál Martin in the papers today which talks about what are we going to need over the next 10 years in housing and it's something like 35 to 40 percent or 35,000 to 40,000 new houses per annum over the next decade. Mm. I think the issue in, in relation to that housing crisis, while it's very compli- complicated, some of the key things in the last couple of years have been how hard the construction sector has been hit by COVID, you know, and um, getting staff, labour shortages, the cost of things like steel, for example, you know, and how the markets have been hit, those sorts of things. So the scalability of housing projects has been a problem. We also have antiquated planning laws and I know the Attorney General is just about to uh, publish their report on you know the overhaul of that whole system so we're almost in a perfect storm of or a tipping point as as the phrase we're using uh, these few days we're at a tipping point of things getting better for housing in the next few years and Sinn Féin will be able to ride on the back of that Mm. Um, Anything else that jumped out for you Jack on the back of that uh, Micheál Martin interview because he he sits down fairly extensively with uh, Neve Hoare and actually Neve makes the the opening suggestion that uh, whereas when she sat down with him a couple of years ago and he wasn't long in the office he was doing yeah. a lot of his meetings by Zoom and he was delighted to have in-person company where he could send out some of these things and maybe now he seems a little bit more hurried as he's trying to yeah. you know get the last of his agenda done before he hands over in a few weeks time yeah, there's a couple of things I mean one of the one of the interesting things is now he's tangled with Neve Horan twice and lived to tell the, the tale which previously she haven't always <laughs> survived to do so but uh, he doesn't offer the power as a drug or anything he, of the sort he, so. he doesn't no uh, and he didn't let her into his, his mobile home as, as uh, Brian Cowan did once but um, the uh, one of the interesting things that jumps out for me is he talks a little bit about succession now he doesn't kind of lean into it as they say but he does talk about how Fianna Fáil uh, has a kind of cohort of people who have taken on the more challenging portfolios in government as we've already discussed mm-hmm. but have cabinet experience so I think that suggests to me that you know when he thinks about who's going to take over from him he sees it as someone from within that cabinet crop as opposed to someone from the kind of the, the cranky gang outside the Jim O'Callaghan's and the uh, Barry Cowns yeah. and so on which well, perhaps well, isn't, well, isn't surprising well, he, but he, it does He makes the note that he did offer Jim O'Callaghan a Minister of State position does, yeah. and, and doesn't quite explicitly state that Jim of course turned it down As we all know he did yeah, yeah. Um, Another thing we talked about housing uh, but he also talked about coalition 
collaboration with Sinn Féin, which is one of the, uh, uh, along with Michal Martin's uh, future and when and if he decides to go or when and if he's pushed, mm. the potential of coalition with Sinn Féin is probably one of the other overriding questions facing Fianna Fáil. And he talks about how they're not ruling anyone out at the moment, but Sinn Féin policies don't effectively match theirs, which c- kind of mirrors the Sinn Féin approach to, to Fianna Fáil and to Fianna Gael, actually, um, which is that they'll talk to anyone who is willing to enact their their uh, policy platform. But I remember around the time of the Fianna Fáil Ardesh, like I did a lot of kind of looking at, at, at the kind of grassroots and backbenchers and some senior people within the party as well, talking to them about the kind of circumstances under which they'd go into government with uh, Sinn Féin. And a few things came back, um, particularly that like Sinn Féin would have to kind of change some of its fundamental kind of value-based approach to the state and, you know, what, mm. what it called the state. And, you know, there would yeah. have to be a full repudiation. Does, does it even recognise the state as there a would, stance? Exactly. Yeah. And there would have to be a full repudiation of the violence of the IRA. And then once he got over all that, those things, which kind of pretty much fundamentally change in some ways what Sinn Féin is about, then you'd have to have a kind of meeting of the minds on uh, policy. So um, while neither of them are ruling each other out, like I think that mm. it's, it's far from a fait accompli that mm. either would take the other into government at this stage. Um, and just the, the, I wouldn't I wouldn't read too much into into the fact that they're not yeah. being ruled out, basically. Uh, which is maybe addresses the contribution of one texter to 53106 who says that looking at the figures at the moment, it seems that Sinn Féin, a rump of disaffected Fianna Fáil and possibly some independents uh, could form the next government. Fianna Fáil and Sinn Féin between them uh, have 51% I think in this poll add in the 10% that go to independence and others and you could be looking at a healthy enough majority but of course the stability of that would be uh, a different matter entirely um, f- before I move on Rachel anything else that jumped out for you from that Fianna Fáil or from the Michal Martin interview with Neve Horan um, uh, I mean his popularity has increased I think he did well when he was asked about why he wasn't doom uh, and mm. again I'd look at comparisons but you know our nearest neighbours but also countries like Germany for example who are telling you know the population to prepare for the worst he very much has avoided that and I think that's a, a, a quite a good strategy yeah. we've seen from the budget there's a, I think 2 billion has been put aside for a rainy day fund who knows what that is likely to be but quite often in politics you get into these kind of self-fulfilling prophecies if people think that doom and gloom is coming. Mm. Uh, we're going to be facing a pretty tough winter, I think. So his strategy, I think, is probably the the right one, that kind of cool, calm, collected, measured approach. Um, you know, he isn't being drawn into doom-mongering, which is good. Yeah. Uh, what, what Even more interesting than that, he's actually asked, can you guarantee that the lights will stay on this winter? And he basically seems to say that we're in a position where you can never say never, but it pretty much looks like we can mm. be assured of that, mm. which which is far from the doom and gloom that others might be offering. Um, and his walks, are in, his walks in the Cork countryside, I like that as well. <laughs> Showing photos on his phone of the evidence of his passion. Endless pictures and videos taken of his solitary walks of birds, butterflies, flowers and landscapes. Mm. There you go. An insight, an insight into the inner life of me, Homer. Yeah. People are less worried about energy now. It's dro- it's dropping down their list mm. of concerns. Uh, one texter to 53106 also points out that isn't eaten bread soon forgotten because if you look at the right-hand uh, page on that spread in the Sunday Independent where it asks which of the following two issues or which of the following issues are among the two highest priorities to be dealt with. Um, only 1% of people have said COVID-19 which of course is what has occupied an awful lot of Stephen Donnelly's time in office mm. which is maybe why uh, only 1% of people now think that he's done a good job as Health Minister because they've forgotten some of what he's had mm. to deal with uh, over the last two years. Um, I do need to take a break but very briefly just before I do uh, there's a couple of pieces dotted around the papers about the ongoing stalemate in Northern Ireland or what might be uh, left. Um, Jack, very briefly anything that jumped out for you on that? Uh, some of the stuff around the security situation um, and the threat from loyalist paramilitarism mm. 
in the Sunday Times. Yeah, John Mooney and Aoife Moore have some interesting pieces because we had these couple of interventions. One of them, an outward, I think it's the the name escapes me. It's the Loyalist um, Community Council, is it? Yes, uh, that's the, 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 umbrella, umbrella group. the umbrella group. Yes. Yeah, kind of warning of dire consequences. And I mean, I, that that was I think the week before last amidst the uh, speculation whether there was going to be an election uh, in Northern Ireland and the discussion around uh, joint authority or shared authority or whatever that that, that might mean. Mm. Um, And you had this warning of dire consequences. We can all see the subtext of that. And then you had this suggestion that there was potentially an an imminent attack that was circulated in the papers last weekend over the bank holiday. Now, it seems from the reporting in the Sunday Times today that the the kind of security forces in the North, MI5 and the PSNI, um, aren't particularly animated by this. You know, they don't think that there's a there's an, an out, out and out threat um, although they can't rule out a kind of lone wolf style attack but what I think is interesting is the suggestion and I think it's in, in the piece that on the right hand side there mm-hmm. um, where you know it, there's a shift underway within kind of uh, loyalist paramilitarism and that you know more radical factions are coming to the fore and that's being fueled a little bit by the uh, by the debate over the protocol mm-hmm. and this discussion around joint authority which is something that Mary Lou MacDonald again uh, she didn't mention it I think in her speech at the Ardesh last night but she did mention it and I think it was more or less unprompted in her uh, doorstep interview with journalists okay. yesterday morning um, so that is obviously something that is is, is provoking a, a good degree mm-hmm. of, of bad feeling uh, north of the world The frustration the electorate must be feeling is unbelievable no yeah. election till next year you know civil servants are you know yeah. running that part of the country and, and effectively powerless to do so yes. as well because they don't even have caretaker ministers anymore yeah. which I think is just, is just a, a really damning indictment of, of where they are right now uh, we will talk to Mary Lou MacDonald about her outlook for, for what some sort of joint authority might look like or whether that is still uh, Sinn Féin's pursuit uh, when she's with us a little bit after 12 o'clock stay with us though uh, more from the papers with Jack and Rachel when we're back after this Jack Horgan-Jones of the Irish Times and Rachel Iredale of RSM Ireland still with me in studio going through the stories on the Sunday papers. Not to be too much media people talking about the media bubble, but the one subject that's exercising everyone within the media bubble and quite a lot of people outside of it is the future of Twitter. Now Mm. that it's been fully taken over by uh, self-prescribed free speech absolutist Elon Musk. Um, Rachel, as the one person who is not a full-time inhabitant of the media bubble, I'll allow you to take the lead here. Lots written across today's papers. Where do you want to start? So front page of the Sunday Times, very good piece. Um, Just how it describes Elon Musk. So they're using words um, by other people, but he is not a rational economic actor. He is erratic. I think the big the big story here is the fact that uh, the Dublin office of Twitter and responsibility for ensuring uh, Twitter complies with new regulations and EU directives is going to fall largely on staff in the Dub- Dublin office. So Elon Musk has decided to restrict his staff's access to content moderation tools. So they are our tools which limit things like hate speech, harassment, gore, nudity. And they allow people on Twitter who are want to spread extremist political views, disinformation, um, conspiracy theories, hate speech. In the US, there's no leg- legislation to control some of those things. So uh, what we need to con- be concerned about really um, 
in Ireland is that responsibility for ensuring uh, Twitter complies is going to fall with us. And the new commissioner for online safety uh, hasn't yet been appointed, Mm. but I think it's going to be a huge task for him or her uh, once they're in post. And Mm. as we know, on Friday, um, 50% of uh, the Dublin staff were made redundant. They had an email and then within about half hour, they were all locked out of their accounts. Um, As we know, Leo Varadkar didn't receive any notification as per the legislation that, uh, you know, for 30 or more staff, uh, there should be a consultation process. So Leo Varadkar, I believe, is due to meet with the IDA tomorrow to discuss uh, some of these issues and how they're going to be dealt with. But I mean, the the way people are talking about Elon Musk, it's just, is Twitter going to be just a toxic place from Mm. now on, really? Uh, It probably is worth just clarifying that although Elon Musk has described himself as a free speech absolutist, he did subsequently refine that in saying that he's not going to allow uh, the posting of any content which is outside of the legal parameters um, in any given territory, which is worth bearing in mind because it doesn't maybe illustrate that it's going to be the complete hellscape that some people um, have outlined. But also it is worth noting in the front page of Sunday Times, there's a rather grim humour to this, um, that the communications team at Twitter uh, was informed on Friday that its jobs were at risk of redundancy. So there was nobody available to answer media queries this weekend, Jack, which is pretty, pretty grim, isn't it? It is. It really is. And it speaks to the kind of burning dumpster fire dynamic that is uh, Twitter at the moment, like just taking over from British politics as uh, the burning dumpster fire (laughs) du jour. But it is like it's it's really grim, you know, I mean, obviously you have the the kind of potential coarsening effect on on the public discourse of Twitter becoming even more toxic uh, if that is what comes to pass. And then you have the more kind of parochial side of it, you know, the the greater uh, regulatory role for the online safety commissioner when he or she is appointed and how that is 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 managed um, by Dublin, and then you have like a more narrow um, industrial relations workers' rights issue, you know, which is which is very clear and real and looks to be on the scale of you know the kind of things that happened recently in Debenhams and a few years ago in in Clearies, um, yeah. and there were obviously you know court cases and WRC processes that that flowed from that. So are we heading down down that road? I would I would suspect mm-hmm. we we may well be, um, and you know I think it's just. <laughs> It's incredible that you know the the political system uh, wasn't warned, and I think that now you'll you'll see the dynamic emerge where the political system is going to try and get its its claws into this story. And you, you yeah. see, you saw on Friday an incredible kind of full court press from Fine Gael in particular. Ingrid Higgins was out on RT uh, calling calling out uh, Twitter very strongly. She's obviously in Leo Varadkar's constituency and could be effectively seen as a surrogate for him. And um, so it'll be very interesting to see how they approach you know this this story being traditionally the kind of pro business, certainly pro multinational. In investment mm. um, uh, party so it, you know it, it'll, it'll be fascinating I think at a bare, at a bare minimum we're going to see people hauled through uh, Eructus committees I mean given the fact that Twitter don't seemingly have someone to answer the phone to journalists well, who, will, who will the Eructus call when they want to call well, them in but, but more, yeah. perhaps more surprisingly because I've already described Twitter as, as a burning dumpster fire but like Stripe don't seem to have given this notification either and that's, yeah, that, 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 which, that's which a, is the, the remarkable thing because Twitter obviously is, is now operating through a very single minded lens of the the whims of the guy who's now the owner but Stripe Yeah, has has never given the impression uh, of being that sort of devil. They're kind of more attitude. normal, right? Yeah. And 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 so the idea that they also would seem to be delinquent in their responsibilities um, would be quite serious for them. And obviously, they're owned by by a pair of Irish brothers. So yeah, I would yeah. imagine that you know there's still lines of communication open they did. into into their offices. And I would be shocked yeah. if they're not holding front. They of the did release a statement to, saying that they had overhired in Stripe um, in anticipation of greater growth in this particular mm. sector. Mm. And but that, of course, that doesn't exonerate from them from no, their responsibilities. 
possibilities. You know, economic slowdown has really impacted on some of mm. their business. They could lose up to 80 people, I believe. We mustn't forget as well that Twitter is already the subject of an ongoing investigation by the Data Protection Commission, you know, for breaches in data privacy mm. and... Uh, the commission in the past has been criticised for being a bit slow and a bit soft, you know. So given what's happening now, I think they won't, they'll have to be seen to be, be taking another a regu- hard line on... There'll be another regulator yeah. in, in the spotlight. And then yeah. there's the, the, the other thread to this, of course, is that, you know, they have the Business Post story about uh, their splash, which is about um, corporate tax revenues. And mm. I mean, if this is a sign, as it seems mm. it could well be, of a kind of general softening mm. in tech uh, and, you know, some questions being asked about the sustainability of those business models and how quickly that sector yeah. has expanded and how kind of loose monetary policy and, has allowed that sector to expand and, so quickly. And not and just now, in the software area as well, because there's still some speculation about whether all the jobs at Intel and LeakSlip are perfectly safe as well. And we don't know about that. Exactly. Yeah. And the Taoiseach was talking about this on Friday, I think, in Thurlis. Um, he was asked about, uh, you know, the structure of, of, of the Irish economy. And like there is a big exposure there. If this softens, we all know about the concentration risk in corporate tax. But of course, it doesn't stop there. There's mm. a huge amount of payroll taxes, there's a huge mm. amount of employment associated with this. So um, it could be it could be a very uh, scary kind of canary mm. in the gold I line. think the big question is, will Donald Trump be back on Twitter well, imminently? Yeah. And will you follow him? Well, uh, well, will I follow him? Probably out of professional obligation. Yeah. Can I just say, with a slightly different um, approach to the, the Twitter story, and, and I'm, I want to ask you this, Rachel, because I'm mindful that myself and Jack are both the beneficiaries if beneficiary is the right word, of having a blue tick on Twitter. And to your mind, as only a, a passive occasional user of Twitter, because I know, I know that you're not as, as knees deep in it as, 10 followers as we on are, Twitter. Yeah. what do you see as the value of a blue tick? And do you think that people who have a blue tick should be required to pay for the privilege of having it? Oh, do I think they should be required to pay? Probably not. Um, but I can't see you guys leaving Twitter and joining another platform, you've probably been years building up your followers and, you know, sourcing the content that you look at and refining how you use that platform. For other people who use other platforms like LinkedIn, for example, would be the one I use or Instagram. I'm even going back to Facebook and things like that. How we uh, source our news content is very, very different, I think. And again, the poll talks about the uh, the age lines that people are, you know, the reliance on RTE as the sole you know, supplier of knowledge, mm. but that, that those days are, are long gone. Um, mm. Would you pay I, $8 a month for some sort of extra features for Twitter or is your use so passage that it wouldn't be no, so passive? No, I wouldn't, that wouldn't and I while. can't see many people, possibly people who require it for professional reasons yeah. might think about that. L- looking at the platform over the next six mm. months is going to be really interesting, but I don't think people are going to leave. A lot mm. of people on there generating a lot of noise at the moment. Yeah. I'm a bit of a lurker on Twitter, you know, with my 10 followers, as I say, <laughs> but I do like to look and, and see what's yeah. going on. Well, you've just required me to do some mental yeah. sums as to how long I've been on Twitter, and the answer is 15 and a half years. I didn't uh, even lo- know it was in existence that lo- long. Long before I was even a journalist, which yeah. is pretty depressing. Um, Jack, I suspect that a lot of this is being approached through a very singular US lens, where a blue tick is seen as something of a, a sign of societal clout and that's why it's now been put up for sale rather than what it is for the rest of the world which is this is how you know that it's really Jack Horgan Jones saying this and not Mm. somebody else taking the mick yeah and look I I don't really understand exactly how the the reforms that Musk is kind of trailing would work I mean he says that it would you know promote free speech and cut down on, on kind of trolling and hate speech and you know if he does that 
fair play to him, but I don't think that he's can be seen as a, as a good faith actor. Um, because it, Twitter is already like not a particularly pleasant place to to be hmm. sometimes. Um, and like strictly speaking, personally, like you know, I'm I'm only really on there out of a sense of professional obligation. But you can't get away from the fact that like as Rachel was saying, like a huge amount of the discourse is kind of shaped on Twitter, and a huge amount of the kind of the news agenda hmm. uh, is shaped, and a huge amount of opinions are are formed on Twitter. Um, so you can't you can't necessarily ignore it mm. and if he changes or if the changes that come to the platform lead to uh, the the negative side of it getting worse and the potential for misinformation spreading becoming more virulent then I think it could be it could be really damaging and we already saw how that can interact with electoral cycles and the mm-hmm. demands that puts on legislators and regulators yeah. um, you know we have legislation working its way through the system here on that front yeah. as well so it'll, it'll be a very kind of volatile space uh, Lara in Dublin says people some perspective Jack Dorsey Mr Twitter himself the co-founder supports Elon in full Twitter is not the echo chamber of Irish PC media and now it never will be says Lara who describes his own politics uh, as centrist. Uh, we're completely out of time because we've got something else coming up after the break so I'm going to have to let you both go. Uh, Rachel Iredale, Managing Director of uh, RSD Consulting and Jack Horgan jones Political Reporter with the Irish Times. Thank you both very much. On the Record with Gavin Riley, Sunday morning at 11. Brought to you by PwC. Great minds think unalike. Different skill sets, diverse opinions, it all adds up to the new equation. On News Talk.